0: Welcome everybody to Be Brownback US. Tonight we have a, we're continuing with the Keith Tober uh, sessions. This is our second session with uh, Keith Townsend at CTO Advisor on Twitter. This is Path to Architect. Now, some quick notes, as you know, there'll probably be Tech Talks and VMworld EMEA that is next week. Next week we don't have a show uh, for the same reason because of VMworld. Um, Get in on the conversation. Those are our Twitter handles and our Twitter hashtag, which we monitor throughout the, uh, the presentation. If you don't have a microphone for some reason you wanna send a question, send it over either through the GoToMeeting interface or through Twitter, and I'll make sure that it gets answered. Those are our schedules, and uh, your host tonight is Ariel Sanchez-Moore, at Ariel Sanchez-Moore. If you need to send me a DM for any reason, uh, that's available as well. Uh, Keith, I'm gonna go ahead and make you presenter. And at this moment, I'll open the microphone so that uh, people can also interact with your session as you have asked.
1: All right, great.
0: I can see your screen.
1: All right, so everybody, thanks for joining the second episode of Keith-tober for the month of October. I'm, I think I'm email the U.S. White House to see if we can get this officially renamed to Keith Tober. All right. So the for those of you who don't know me, Keith Townsend, an SCTO advisor on Twitter, www.ctoadvisor.com. We're opening the mics. We're going to do a little bit different of a V Brown bag. I only have four slides, two of which have real content on them. I really want this to be an interactive session. I've talked to a couple of you guys offline. There seems to be a lot of questions around this topic of how do I move from being an administrator engineer to an architect or even one of the things I didn't talk about think about was if you're currently an administrator and you want to move to an engineer and eventually architect role. For those of you who are joining us live, you have the advantage of talking to me directly, and we can talk through some of those things. I'll go through uh, one kind of high-level slide, and then we'll have an open conversation around a lot of practicals. Sounds good to everyone? I'll, I'll, I'll take silences, yes. All right. so we're going to talk about the breakthrough what skill are you lacking and these are some questions i would like for you to answer we'll go through a the next slide we'll go through kind of a job description description of a architect but of those skills what are you lacking what have been some of the roadblocks you've run through in your career in trying to attain that architect title how do you obtain those skills and then how do you create opportunity for yourself for advancement? So not just the practical the practicals of how do I, you know, gain a skill that I'm lacking? But once I've gained that skill, how do I actually advance in my career? So hopefully we'll have a true path to architect tailored to those of you who are on with us this week. So first off, Let's take a look at some of the requirements for an architect. I got this off of uh, Salary.com. Uh, pretty boilerplate uh, responsibility for designing, implementing information systems uh, that adequately support the enterprise organization. Analyzes requirements uh ensures all systems are working has thorough knowledge of the infrastructure and programming and web software applications generally speaking 6 to 8 years of experience which i think is a, a sweet spot there are I, i've actually seen some exceptions in some folks careers that only had a, a few years of experience those are by far uh in the uh 99th percentile probably uh they're familiar with I think this last one I think I kind of like and where we're spend a lot of time with familiar with a variety of fields of concepts practices and procedures relies on extensive experience and judgment to plan accomplished goals, perform a variety of tasks and leads direct and report the work of others kind of a managerial thing and a wide degree of creativity and latitude is expected typically reports to top management which is another I think call out that we'll talk about. What requirements, and I I think I've noticed a couple, and this is a typical job description which sounds to me a lot like an engineer's uh, job description in some ways. What key requirements do you think are missing when you go through either job interviews or when you talk to a mentor and they say, you know what, you're lacking this particular skill, what within this framework do you think is missing from skills that uh, you practically see in an architect?
0: And a gentle reminder the microphones are open. Uh, if you want to participate with Keith, just unmute yourself and go.
1: So a lot of you guys have talked to me about business skill, so when you look over this list, which one of these requirements kind of scream out business skill if any? I would argue none and with the uh, with the exception of maybe managing other people and reporting to top management, it doesn't really call out business skill. What business skills have you guys found have been that that's held you back from being an architect when you go to interview for these types of roles I'll I'll venture in an and
0: answer Keith um I think that especially if you have not understood a business completely if you have only worked in a silo traditionally it's um it's kind of tough to be able to talk to top management or someone that knows the business well, and understand the problems from their perspective.
1: Ariel, I I really uh, appreciate that connection. If you've ever heard my uh, podcast with the Geek Whispers or the Geek Whispers podcast with John uh, Troyer and team, Amy and Matt, one of the things that I've, talked about on that podcast was the ability to connect what you do as an engineer, administrator, or architect to your business. Uh, the, I wish we had a uh, some type of uh, I wish we had some type of polling system on here. I don't know, Ariel, do we have a polling system on here? Yes, we do. Okay, let's, let's create a poll really quick. I'll um, Just tell me what you want uh the, the poll is how many people uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought the uh, we're talking about business skill so how many people the poll is how many people could connect their job as a engineer to what they provide as a business to your ultimate end user, not your internal end user. But you're all ultimate end-user. So if you're a cigarette company, how do you tie your job to selling cigarettes? So the survey is of you, and this can be uh, yes, no. Can you tie your job, uh, how your job adds value to your end customer of the actual business, whatever your industry you're in? All right, so how many
0: people can connect your current engineering job to value for the end consumer? And the answers are yes or no, okay. And let me put that in there, and I, I'll also try to make it uh, a Twitter poll. So make sure, guys, in the interface, th- there sh- you should be able to see a poll, and then you can go ahead and answer.
1: So the reason why I ask this question is that's, I think, a key attribute or a key skill of being an architect. When we talk about the business skill, do we understand the business, it's key to understand at some point someone in accounting, somewhere, some, some non-IT person looked over your job rec and approved it. They said for some reason uh, to pay X amount of dollar and, and salary and X amount of dollar in business and benefits adds value to our end user. It's going to make us sell X more product or it's going to make us, uh, it's going to allow us to uh, meet regulatory responsibilities. It's going to make us uh, create more product. Somehow, the person who created your job wreck justified it by saying that they are going to be able to add value to the business. So the bottom line becomes do you understand how your job adds value to the business today? That's a critical skill of the architect. So All right. That, what's, what's, our, uh, what's our results of our...
0: Hope? So, 63% of our attendees can say that they definitely understand the value that they bring to their company's bottom line. Uh, 40% are not, well, 38% are not so sure they do.
1: So, I think that's a good place to start when it comes to a skill gap analysis. One of the things that we don't see on here is the bi- a business skill and one of those skills we have to to close out is how is it that my job building servers uh... configuring servers answering audit reports and i'm giving you a hint hint right there answering audit reports uh... ensuring network equipment stays up designing network interfaces how does that job impact my in consumer Another thing, another aspect is the ability to look at the overall requirements and deliverables of the product. So, in engineering roles, we normally get very in uh, or task-oriented jobs: design a vSphere cluster, or design a vSphere host, or design a NTP service, or implement uh, a given design troubleshoot performance issues those are very engineer uh focused tasks some of the gaps in between an engineer and a architect is that a architect looks at the overall system engineers can look at overall systems such as a vSphere cluster vspur cluster designing a vSphere cluster is not just saying Oh, let me look. Let me uh, count the number of processors that I need, the amount of RAM, and the number, the amount of disk. You also look at network. You also look at the overall uh, storage requirements, and that's that's part of the cluster. So, depending on the size of the organization, that can be an architect role or that can be an engineer role. It's a relative statement. In an architect role, though, you're always looking beyond a single uh, system or a single unit. For example, when I say design a vSphere cluster, the architect at the level that we're talking about probably wouldn't get that task. An architect would probably get the task of saying, you know what, we need a virtualization platform. Go out and source a virtualization platform architect would then take a look at all the requirements. He'll go to gather the requirements of what it means to uh, have a virtualization platform. Well, what do we need to do around support, change management, configuration management? Uh, what do we need to do when it comes to integration with other systems? Specifically, let's you know take networking, for example. One of the uh, common issues I'll run with Run into talking to server engineers is that they'll look at a server and they'll say, you know what? I would like to have four 10 gig interfaces coming into my vSphere and uh, into my vspear host, or my uh, we'll talk about Hana next week into my SAP Hana host. I need a backup. I need a management network and a a backup. I need a management network and an application network. And then I need a redundant application network and a redundant management network for failover. And on paper, from from a server perspective, that makes sense. However, when you look at the overall system, when you look at the overall data center, and you run into the fact that you're now using 40 gig of capacity for application or a service that needs probably less than 10 gig, you didn't take the whole system into into account so the question is how do we get from that engineer view to that architect view and I think that's what I've heard back from a lot of people I've talked a lot let's hear back from you guys are are we on track are we hitting some of the pain points of what you guys want to talk about tonight? just a
0: reminder for everybody coming in late uh, the, the microphones are open in this session you can go ahead and talk, just unmute yourself.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead. Um, So, one of my takeaways, I guess, from this is it almost seems like in a lot of cases, I think I'm guilty of this personally, we sort of have a hard time making the transition from supporting the business to being in a position to enable a business. That does that kind of sound like a fair assessment of uh, some of the stuff we've covered here?
1: Yeah, I think that is Tim. The, when you again that in task oriented type of position where you're in as an engineer, where you're supporting the business and your focus is mainly um, implementing thought thoughts. That are thoughts coming down from people who are enabling the business. So, as an engineer, you may do the things that enable the business, but you're not driving that thought and, and providing those solutions from a uh, from a uh, white uh, blank page of white requirements to an actual technology solution. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that that
2: makes uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, pretty much hit the nail on the head for what I've sort of had going through my mind on my end for a while now. Um, so I guess sort of get some, you know, third-party feedback is nice.
3: Yeah,
1: so a great example is, and let's have this conversation a little bit. What's better, iSCSI or NFS? Well,
2: it depends.
3: <laughs> okay,
2: what does, what does it depend on? Uh, off the top of my head, I'd say it depends on uh, well, what are your needs? What can you support? And what do you hope to achieve with it?
1: Okay. So, what would drive uh, iSCSI? What would drive using iSCSI over NFS? Uh,
2: say, I've got a situation where I need to share a one-to you know, or volume to multiple hosts, whether it's for some sort of clustering technology or something like that. Uh, you'd probably want to go iSCSI over anything. Over
0: NFS. Well, I I would say that you want to look at also what's the current state. If we already have NFS or iSCSI in the company, and do we have that talent as well?
1: That that's an that's an interesting skill set. So let's talk about another uh, scenario. Let's keep it in the storage realm. Do we go traditional uh, monolithic storage arrays, so you know a VNX, VMAX type of HDS? type of solution? Or do we go, what's the drivers to go with something like a Nutanix uh, or vSAN? What, what are some of those drivers?
2: Well you're going to have to look at cost, uh, you know, performance, what's the use case going to be? If it's going to be you know, a, a Greenfield deployment, I'd definitely probably look at some of the newer technologies. Whereas if it's a matter of, hey, you know what, we've already got you know some uh, VNXs here. We just need more capacity and we've got the admins to handle it. Let's just toss another one in the rack, right? So you you really sort of have to hammer out not only the requirements, but what, what are you hoping to achieve with this? Uh, I, I know that's something I've run into in the past where somebody will give me a list of requirements and you'll sit down and chat with them and say, Okay, this is what you're telling me that you need, but what are you actually trying to do? And then you might find out, you know what, there there might be a better solution here. Yeah, especially
0: if they don't have a clear idea of budget or if they don't have a or if they have a specific requirement on time, then your choices can be narrowed down because of those constraints, right?
3: Okay.
1: So let's let's drive let's drive down that a little bit more. As we collect requirements. What would be some of the requirements that you would look into uh, the decision to go with a HCI HCI solution versus a traditional storage array? What What questions would you ask your your customer?
2: Well, first one I would probably ask is uh, what's the use case? They say something like VDI. That's probably going to push me towards a HCI route pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a matter of, hey, you know what, We're, uh, we need to expand our backup repositories, well, HCI is probably not the greatest solution for that. You could probably just get a ton of storage, a fair bit cheaper. So I, I think you really have to look at what's the use case going to be. Then sort of follow that up with, uh, you know, have discussion, okay, do you have the skill sets in-house to manage this from sort of like a day one, day two type thing? Uh, depending on what my situation is. If I'm working for the organization, do do I have those skills to support it going forward? If I'm working as a consultant, does, you know, are they expecting to have some sort of long term contract with us?
1: Okay. So let's those are great engineer focused questions. Now let's ask the questions from an architect perspective. Architect's perspective, and this is I, uh, I'm cheating a little bit because I have some background as a management consultant. My first question is, why is that a question? Why is the and why is it uh, HCI versus storage array? Why? Why? Because normally this is a question the uh, enterprise group. Whether it's infrastructure or application, this is the type of question they would come to us with. They say, you know what, we're thinking about making a purchase. And you'll they'll present a couple of options, or you'll have a couple of options in your tool belt to choose from. And the first thing that we need to be under that we need to understand is not just what's the application, but back to that original question that we asked from the polling question is how does my job add value to the business? The question, the answer to HCI versus, and Steve Kaplan will like this answer, the answer to HCI versus traditional storage array is what are the business drivers. And the business drivers aren't necessarily the application use case, the VDI versus uh, monolithic application versus containers versus whatever the application is, but what is it and this will start to come more natural what is it that we're trying to deliver to the business when we talk about digital transformations and putting applications in front of our uh... businesses consumers so again if and i'm gonna stop using the cigarette analogy let's use something if i sell crash cushions to uh... state highway systems and i want to uh, get these devices out to the public as soon as possible. Then I want to en- enable. I want to cut through the bureaucracy or the paperwork or whatever, whatever the pain points it is in getting these things out onto the highway to save lives. Then I want to cut through that. So let's back up and let's start looking at requirements from that perspective. And once we start looking at the uh, entire system. Just like when we look at automation, when we look at automation, we just don't go and start automating everything. We look at saying, saying, okay, it's an entire system, where are the pain points, and let me relieve the pain points so that we ultimately add value to our consumer. So with the uh, HCI versus traditional storage array, maybe the answer to the question isn't even what's the best technology performance-wise for the application but how do we solve the business's uh, most critical pain point which may be time to value. Yeah. How, if we're having trouble getting to market because we can't build applications fast enough, enough, it doesn't matter how well the application will perform or how much money we saved on the back end it's going to be relatively peanuts compared to the opportunity we create or the efficiencies we uh, create for the business and we start there that's the difference between the architect view and the uh, view of the engineer. The architect needs to look needs to always look at the business needs to always have conversations with the business to understand what the true business drivers are so even when the application team comes to him and says, "Well, we think we need uh, 10,000 IOPs or a million IOPs, and this this spec, an uh, architect's job is to look past even that set of requirements and understand what the business requirements are, understand what the value of the application is offering. Why did the portfolio management team fund this project over buying more? Because they ultimately they have to compete with the plant that wants more, uh, forklifts for, forklifts why did the bean counter say that okay IT you can have the money to do this project over this really tangible uh, problem that we see in the plant which is that they have old forklifts and we need to upgrade the forklifts you need to understand what your ultimate business value is and that drives applic- the, your application requirements does that make sense
0: Yeah, I was going to say when you started saying, you know, why is that even a question? I thought I originally thought what you meant was, well, if the company already has some standards, why are they asking this again? Right. But no, what, what you really meant is, listen, you have to understand what you're trying to achieve and maybe what they think they want is not the most appropriate thing. It may be that there is something else that will help the business even more and they have not considered it. So you have to even take that step back
1: yeah you have to take that step back and understand it you need to get and to move on to kind of like that second this second bullet. How do you obtain that skill what 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 are you lacking and it's more more than likely you from a technology perspective you know you guys watch the Brown bag if you wanted to I think in the one of the uh slides that I have, I have a technical architect vendor when was preparing this. I went and pulled the uh, workshop bullet objectives for the VCDX certification, and if you look at these things from a and this is still kind of technically focused, under understanding and apply framework and designs, uh, storage solutions for vSphere, networking, compute, virtualization. So you have to you have to be well-rounded. Incorporate management and monitoring and features identify design goals, requirements, constraints, and risk. Uh, we're, that's getting a little bit more into the business soft skills. Identify useful information for making design decisions. That's where I'm talking about when it comes to uh, talking to the business. Recognize and analyze best practices and recommendations. Analyze alternative design choices. With the exception of the identify design goals, requirements, constraints, and risk, and identify useful information for making design decisions if you guys look at the rest of that stuff the rest of that stuff is skill you pick up as an engineer you know mm-hmm. you guys learn frameworks you most definitely know uh, your technology your various uh, vendor technologies you'll understand we've been preaching on V brown bag and other platforms forever the need to expand your your area of expertise uh last week after the uh last week's v Brown bed we talked extensively about devOps so from a technical skill perspective, I don't think you guys lack the ability or the sight to gain the the technical skill that needs to be an architect. The question is how do you gain that ability to look at problems? From an architect's perspective, that business skill, that ability to present to question and then present solutions to management types, I think that if correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the crust you guys know how to you guys know how to learn technology if If learning technology was the only obstacle to being a architect, most of us on the call would already be architects. Am I wrong? No, you're right. And I think it segues into a question that
0: Moses Lucien uh, just put on the on the on the interface. Moses, the microphone is open. I, I really want you to go ahead and interact directly with Keith if you can.
4: Yeah, so um,
3: how are you guys doing? Uh, sometimes like you don't you don't you may not have visibility
1: to what the other sides of the business uh, are doing, and you just get told no uh when you try to present your project or you try to bring up your project. I mean how do you uh deal in situations like that? Maybe the environment is not uh open or conducive to including you in, in those types of discussions. So as an architect, how do you approach that? So if uh me and JP uh me and Justin Warren, I think about a year ago almost, it might have been last October, I gotta look. We did a if you uh, look back on the V brown site like we we actually did a whole session on presenting uh a business case to your to coming up with a business case and presenting it i like that forklift uh i like that forklift story a lot because i think it's one it was real it's, it it was a it was i had to compete against as a architect as a network manager I had to justify crashing our uh, MPLS network versus a project to buy new forklifts, literally. That, so I, I use that forklift analogy all the time. So obviously I'm in a, I was in a managerial role and by me presenting the, the project automatically kind of gave weight to it, but one of the great lessons from that Whole thing that me and Justin did was the output of understanding your organization and your organization drivers. If you most organizations, and I'll so I ask the this question: Do you guys have annual re- reviews?
2: You mean budget reviews?
1: No, uh, uh, performance reviews.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely yeah.
1: And those are usually set upon goals, and most. Decent organizations the goals are pushed down so do you guys get like organizational goals that were that that had been pushed down from the most senior uh, the senior heights of leadership yes so the one of the key parts about getting a project approved if you're brave enough to submit a project is to it's critical that the projects that you submit are tied to one, if not two, of those organizational-wide goals that got pushed down. There may not be there there may not be money in the budget for that particular thing uh, this year, but believe but believe me when I tell you, when you present a project and you've taken that time, and again, this is about tying what the value that you add as an engineer or an architect. Back to your consumer of your end product from your business, when you've taken the time to tie that proposed project back to your goals, which those goals are tied back to the business, you have a much better shot of h- having your, if not having it approved, having your uh, project heard. And if you consistently do that, you will get a project that's approved. So I'll ask that question have have you in the past tried to uh tie a project to your uh to your organization to your IT organization's overall goals not good enough <laughs> yeah, yeah that so that is that's one of those things that as as engineers we see the problem so a typical thing we'll see you know, we'll, we'll have slow application performance. And the reason why we're having slow application performance is because we are oversubscribed on CPUs. And we go to the business and we, say, and we say, okay, we need new servers. And the business says, you know, we just bought new servers four years ago. We don't understand why we would need new servers. And you intr- intrinsically know why you need new, tr- new servers. The challenge, and, the, and this is the architect's job, and this is my job. I, 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 last week, if you watched the video of me uh, showing my Nook lab, I had to ask Tim how to get to the uh, to the VSAN uh, the details of my v, v, VSAN data stores, because now my job is no longer uh, knowing that level of detail, but knowing how to sell a project to buy new servers to the business. I need to be able to come, I come to you, you tell me what we need and then I'll translate that into some magical speak so that I can take it to the business and I can compete against that forklift job. It's all about competing against that forklift job, that thing that the business automatically understands. If the business automatically understands manufacturing and your IT, you're already at a disadvantage so you have to understand how your company assesses projects and you present those projects in a fashion that they can consume and Steve Kaplan, the Nutanix ROI guy, is kind of a master at that he can take you know kind of the Nutanix argument it's a premium product but he can help organizations make an argument for why there's a return on investment for uh, for that for that project and that's the architect's job. That's the big difference between being an engineer and being an architect. So, how do you, uh, or how did you make that transition from, you know, uh, tech guy to management to architect, or wh- whatever the path was? How did you make that transition so you uh, started to understand, you know, um, all the things that you're explaining to us now? How did you attain, obtain those skills? So. I'll talk about my path, and then because you set me up nicely, how did you obtain these skills? So how do you get? How do you change the lens, your your worldview? And how did I change my worldview? Is that I ended up working from a practical perspective. I worked in a uh, what was a large enterprise with limited resources from a uh, from a people perspective. So I was put in a situation where I was forced to manage projects, and I'm a huge component, and that's huge, Y-U-U-G-E, huge uh, proponent of project management skills. As an architect, you are going to have to manage projects. You'll see that there's going to be an awful lot of overlap between a project manager and an architect's job. One of the things that I battle every day at work is to say, hey, you know what? I've created the strategy, I've uh, uh, stil- facilitated the design, I've provided the roadmap. Now I'm passing this thing off to the PMs to implement and not getting stuck in that implementation phase of the project. While I'm there to oversee it, I'm not there to actually do it. So there's an awful lot, there's both good and bad when you become an architect. Uh, you have great project management skills because when you're an engineer, you raised your hand and said, hey, that backup and this is one of those things that I failed at when I was a young engineer I was given the job to manage a 250,000 dollar backup project low-hanging fruit low-risk uh... but I couldn't I, I said well that at the end of the day that has very little visibility and I and I don't understand how that will raise my profile within the organization so I passed it up and did some other project but I didn't Well, I ended up being a in contributor versus managing the project. When you get projects like that, take them, because that gives you the that gives you another view. You start to manage a small budget. You start to manage some people that you that don't directly report to you. Because as an architect, you have to in you have to indirectly influence other people, uh, and then you. Start to build a reputation for someone who can deliver, and you start and from you get two practical parts. You get practical experience, and you learn how that you start to learn that business side of things. And then two, uh, you get exposure internally. So if you could t- continue to stay at that organization, you will get more opportunity to lo- manage larger projects. So that's the first thing that I did in my career, which was to manage to manage. Projects. Any questions on kind of how do you, how do you, how did I do that or what skill, what other skills or what, why you should do the whole project management thing as your engineer? Hey,
4: Keith. Yeah? Keith, this is What'd you say? Hey, this is Larry. Larry. Hey, Larry. Hey, I wanted to throw out a couple things if, if you guys don't mind for a second. No, go ahead. So, so what I want to throw in is um, I think that because obviously I play, play a role very similar to what Keith's trying to describe here. Um, the biggest thing that I, I see from people that want to advance as a, well, a cons, not a consultant, but an architect in being able to obtain those skills, the biggest thing you have to be able to do at least, I'm just going to throw this out there, is you have to be willing to take risks Meaning you have to take a risk on putting your neck out there to learn from other people across the silos, break those silos, and begin to have those conversations. Depending on which organization is, if you work at a tech company, you know those are different. Um, But be able to literally put your neck out there and let's be honest, we've all had management that does not want anyone to actually have conversation without them involved or actually them having the conversation for you. Um, that doesn't always work, as we all know. So what, what has always worked for me, um, just personally, is willing to take a risk, willing to put your job on the line because I want to advance my career. I want to be able to understand what these other teams are doing. Because with that, I can start to learn as as myself to see what those business needs are, what the requirements are, what their pain points are, be able to start putting um, my thoughts together with theirs and be able to come up with a solution together. But also at the same time, you just start growing and growing and growing. And Keith hit on an important point I want to stress from my perspective is, as you make your way into that next phase, you really have to begin to realize how to inspire thought within the other uh, teammates as well as across the board. Keep inspiration, keep it just, you know, just being able to know what, do, what are the things that they get excited about and what are the things I get excited about, right? And be able to come together and leverage one another to be able to make things, to, to help each other grow. But really what you're doing at the end of the day is you're advancing yourself quite easily, to be honest, um, but you really have to take that risk. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say, Keith?
1: Yeah, Larry, I think one of the things, and I think you'll agree with me, those conversations don't have to be in a formal setting.
4: They do not, absolutely not. And Um, and that's one thing that we do, and I think this is what we talked about last week too, is what we do, um, typically what we'll do is, We like to have like little tech days or, uh, you know, you can call them lunch and learns if you want. I mean, we all work remote um, where I'm at, but we do, uh, you know, basically just hold sessions. You don't have a real agenda. You have a topic you're going to talk about, and you present um, maybe some cool idea that you have. And you invite others outside of your team to be a part of that. You can record it. We do record it. Um, so people can go back and watch it. Um, but be able to have um, that, that discussion with the other teams, go, hey, I'm doing this cool stuff with, you could say vSphere, you want to do virtualization, you want to do storage, you want to do networking, maybe you have some project that maybe is not necessarily virtualization um, oriented, maybe it's, um, maybe it's a solution that you have an idea for. Maybe you want to put a DDI solution together. Um, and invite others from the other teams that might leverage the same thing, right? Because as you start working into automation with a solution like that, you want to be able to start looking at what is it going to, what are we going to need to build our internal cloud? How is it going to affect everybody outside of the team um, that's going to actually be the consumer, not necessarily the provider? And and begin to start having those conversations, but like I say, just bring those people together. And like Keith said, you, you really don't have to have. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, it could be ad hoc. I mean, just have a ad hoc meeting, and you present this week, and then extend that to them at the end of that conversation, and say, you know, next time go around. Why don't some, you know, somebody else else outside of my team present on a topic, and start that. Conversation
1: that way, and this is getting into kind of that third point too. Uh, I know the question was, how did I get to where I'm at? But this is, I think, all very practical stuff that we can apply. And Larry made a very good point when it says, take risk. This is something. If it was me, I wouldn't even ask permission. Exactly. This is just something I do. I send out an invite, say, hey, lunch, and I I at this point in my career, I still do it. I say, hey, lunch and learn. I, I think a few months ago I showed Ravello to a bunch of, uh, to a bunch of uh, engineers that wasn't even in my group and, because it's cool and that, that builds a uh, one it shows people that you kinda know your stuff and two it builds the atmosphere that have com- conversation and present to you opportunity another thing that us geeks don't like to do necessarily Is go out to lunch with people who are not in our group. So, if you're in a smaller organization, go out to lunch with the marketing guy, or go out to lunch with the person, excuse me, with the person that works in the commercial group, or the accounting team, the finance team, or, or the dreaded auditors. You know, the the build, um, build, start to build relationships. this is no different than when you're looking to sell business to uh, your in consumers, and it's just about being. Part of it is about being top of mind, so that you create opportunity. I I blog, I, I tw- not tweet, I post a lot on LinkedIn, and because I'm top of mind with a lot of executive level people on LinkedIn, they don't even know what I do, but they know. You know what that Keith. F- that guy Keith is always posting these links to this super technical stuff and i need somebody to build a uh i need somebody to build a uh, uh some type of new web app for me and let me call Keith and see if he can do it even though that's not what i do i'm top of their mind and i've created opportunity for myself because i've i've, I've, I've i'm forcing myself to stay out of kind of my comfort zone and that that's something that you know that uh, that I think is a great piece of advice from Larry is to get, put yourself out there. Yeah, and and even, even I would say when you approach people
0: like this, even if you don't talk to them normally, tell them that you want to see if you can help them. I mean, offer offer to understand their problems. Let them speak, and let's see how you
4: translate that into what can I do for you. Exactly, and that's that's the biggest key as is, is, as well as. Don't be the one doing all the talking. Let them feed you um, because, you know, the other, the other point like Keith is trying to make too is, um, you know, they're going to give you a different perspective than what you think of because, I mean, let's be honest, we've all been technical engineers. We've all been engineers for, for Lord knows how long. I know me and Keith, probably 20-plus years at least, each of us. And, you know, we've all been in the trenches and all that. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, it gets boring. Um, but you start having those conversations with the team, the guys outside the team, and the people outside the team, and, and you know, they're, they're talking about their issues. You're talking about, you know, what you do. And, you know, eventually there's going to be a conversation where you're going to, one or the other is going to help the other one by going, you know, talking about something that they never would have thought about because they don't see it day in and day out. So then you just spurred a whole other conversation as well as a whole different thought process and being able to help you build your, um, you know, your 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 goals and your build your um, what you can provide, just your skill set. Being able to keep maintaining that and always, always, always stay outside your comfort zone.
0: You you get to understand the business a lot better, and you basically get to talk in that business. Um, you know, you build the business acumen. You understand what the pain points are, et cetera, et cetera.
4: Exactly, and I'm going and to end it with this, and, and I'm notorious for being the guy that walks the line of HR, so, hey, I always put my neck out there.
1: <laughs> so, another, so, the let's talk about kind of the, that was the initial phase, the stuff that, well, practically speaking, that's low-hanging fruit, from a transfer, transferring from, transforming from an engineer to an architect. The other piece is the harder part. And especially if you're on this call, chances are you're a few years either out of, you're more than a few years out of high school, and you may be a few years out of college if you uh, got your college degree at all. Is I chose the route of getting a formal education. I'm going to be flat honest because we're a community and we 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 can have tough conversations. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm black, so that presents some really tough challenges for me uh just from a job perspective. I have to I have to be on top of my game. So for me, a college degree was kind of I had a I had a uh, and I'm appreciative of it. I know it's an uncomfortable topic, but I had a manager that um that that I applied for a position and he said, Keith, I'm going to be it was a managerial present position. He was a VP uh, he was a, a, a guy from Pakistani, so a, a, minor, a fellow minority, he said, Keith, I'm going to be honest with you, you're black. You need, to, you need to have a degree. Now, do you need a degree to do this job? No, you don't. Am I appreciative that I went and got the degree? Yes, because it opened some doors for me that would, would not have been available for me otherwise. Regardless of your race, I went and worked for Lockheed Martin, which you can't get in the door with Lockheed Martin without a degree. And I went, at, went and worked for PwC, which is notorious for not hiring you unless you have a degree. And I, and beyond just uh, having the piece of paper and getting past a glass ceiling that uh, that a piece of paper resisted. Uh, uh, preventing me from going through it presented two things for for me first I learned a lot while i was getting a degree it forced me to take courses that i would not have taken the ability to create a business case in a uh... the ability i gained the ability to create a business case by getting my advanced degree it was a course on uh on portfolio management and we went through how do organizations uh pick what projects get funded and I learned how to do that from that course do you need a course and a college to do so no there's other methods to to achieve that another method to achieve that is by partnering with somebody in finance and saying hey you know what i want to present this uh I want to present this project as a and I want a strong business case around it. Can you help me create a business case? And you can gain that knowledge outside of just going to school, but for me, going to school provided provided that opportunity. The other thing that provided the opportunity was getting completely out of my comfort zone and practically leaving IT. I spent 2 years at PwC And at PwC, we look at we look at problems from a completely different lens. When you're in an IT organization, again, you're kind of focused on the IT drivers of why you do things. We need to refresh the uh, data center core because it's seven-year-old technology. Yeah, email gets. Email listing Packets are still getting uh, moved, but it's seven-year technology, and we know all the intrinsic reasons of why it should be refreshed. Going to business school helped, or not just going to business school, but going to business school and working for PwC as a uh, management consultant, I'm able to comp- I, I'm able to present a compelling argument for why the core switches should be upgraded and how that. Enables the business being able to speak that boardroom talk. I learned that by working at PwC. So, what there are downsides to that though. The biggest downside to going to and you can choose to work for a PwC, a Deloitte and Touche, a Ernst and Young, a KPMG, a censure which is a little bit kind of different thing. There's Lifestyle changes that you have to make, which is one big piece. There's a ton of travel, but the other thing is, is you don't get to touch technology. And if you're on V Brownbag, if you're listening to V bag chances are you love technology, and that's a big sacrifice to make. I will, I, I am forever changed. I will never. Chances are, I'll never go back to even to the level of I. I. You know, we talked candidly after the last week session. And I listen to all the cool stuff Larry does in his job, and I'm jealous. I, 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 I spent the past, I spent, I've spent the past three or four years having managerial and strategy conversations, and kind of talking marketer, mark what we call marketer talk versus the deep engineering talk. I miss that dearly, but I, I also enjoy the value that I uh, deliver to the business. So, and I think, and I'll give Larry a chance to talk about this, going down the architecture route, obviously there's the uh, prestige of it, and for most organizations, there's more money involved, but it's not all roses. Larry, can you talk about some of the disadvantages for for even even for you with being an architect that's very hands-on?
4: I mean, so so I've actually played kind of a unique role. I'm not necessarily the architect, but I work with the architects. Um, I'm more working as a more of a solutions engineer more so, but I have those conversations with architects and and outside, obviously, Um, and I have for a long time, several, several long, long years. Um, But being able to, you know, um, I'll I'll be honest, not not too long ago, actually, um, I was being – I was actually moving towards more of a hands-off role, and I didn't like it. Um, and and, and Keith actually... Sorry, I'm sorry, I
1: hate to interrupt you. And so uh, let me change my question. Then you're, I think you're about to answer it. Why, 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 what doesn't appeal to being an architect to you?
4: The hands-off. So, so my biggest thing was, number one, and this is why I say what I was saying a while ago, is it depends, on, it depends on what your goal is, right? If you want to be an architect, you want to be an architect. But like Keith said, you, there are sacrifices, and one of those sacrifices is that you get hands off. Now, you can do both, but you're going you're gonna to sacrifice one way or the other. You're going to lose sleep, or you're going to, you know, sacrifice another way. Um, my biggest thing, my, my biggest problem is, is that I like to work with technology, but I don't like to work with the same technology. So I like to move around. I might do you know a program, I might write code, I might do containers, I might do virtualization. I might do storage, I might do networking. I might do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. but I also like to have conversation. So I also like to have um, where I'll train and teach and come up with ideas of being able to teach others and things like that. The biggest thing for me was being able to go full blown into a role where you no longer, like Keith said, where you're actually going to be relying on others. You might come up with a big idea, right? You've got the idea of what needs to be done and what the justifications are. You preach to the business on why you need it. You've got the, the, all of the, the, um, the back, you know, background on what is required, what the desire is, and you've started reaching out for funds and things like that. But now you've got to hand it off to somebody else to actually implement it. If you like to implement things, now I don't like to implement everything, but I do like to do a lot of development, right? So there's that fine line. And, that, and now hopefully that's answering what you're getting at, Keith, because like I say, that, that for me, it was just I would rather kind of do it all, not all. You know, kind of get my hands into different areas all the time um, just to keep busy, not necessarily busy, but always learning because you're having those different conversations. Yeah, so, and
1: that, and. And so my, my next, uh, keep-over for next week is going to be me talking vSAN on, uh, on I'm sorry, me talking SAP HANA on vSAN. And I'm most definitely going to have to keep it at the architect le- level. I, I, I can't, I, will, I, I built a three-node cluster so I can install SAP HANA on my, but I just, I'm not, a, I have to sleep at some point. So and and because my day job, I add no value to my business by learning the technology and that in that level of detail. So I think one of the things that I really want to advise you guys who are looking at that architect role, if you love getting your hands dirty, you love ba- breaking stuff, fixing it, figuring it out. Uh, re- if you're really challenged by that architecture piece and coming up with this slide deck design isn't your de- idea of fun, then i say I'd caution you to go down this, this, this route. I spend an awful lot. Of, my main tools now are PowerPoint, Excel, and Word. I okay, I, 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 I've been at my organization for two years now, and I just installed Visio last week. So that's, if you enjoy that stuff, I'm warning you. There's not as much of it. The higher you go up in the architectural world, there's less of it. Yeah,
0: and, and I'll say that this is a this is a common thing that I that I discuss even inside my company. Uh, we have one architect in the whole company, and he is technical, but he doesn't know all the technical details. He knows how stuff are are meant is meant to work. He needs to understand if something will satisfy the requirements, but he leaves the handoff to the engineers who are supposed to be deep down into this technical uh, thing. Uh, So I do see that a lot, and especially because a lot of us are from VMware and we are looking at the VCDX, that's a very technical architect because you're not only having to talk the business case, you also have to go down and explain your design up and down. And that's not the real world. Sometimes the architect is not expected to finalize every little detail
1: yeah and that, and i think that's one of the things that's that's really uh that's why I put the v c d x up as an the example in my work and if you're working for a customer role v c d x offers no value to a customer because you'll it's just overkill from a from a technology perspective. Those soft skills that we've talked about tonight will be will add much more value probably where you're at technically now most of us We're fine at for that architect level. It's this these other skill sets that we need to focus on. So I'll I'll leave the mic over. We gotta uh, we're over a little bit, but I'll I'll open the mic for some questions.
4: Sorry about that. That was my fault, Keith.
1: No, that that you know what, Larry. That's me and your fault. When when we get on a phone together, it's it's just you know it's not it's not going to be uh it's not going to end on time.
0: No, but but I really appreciate Larry's perspective because. I can see, especially myself, I see myself as a person that could get to that architect level and get bored after talking to, you know, business all the time and not playing with all the new toys that are out. So I do appreciate oh, yeah. that that perspective where you actually say, and you know what, there are some projects I just want to do
1: myself. <laughs> you know what, yeah. uh, it, goes, it, it goes, is down. it is some fun when, depending on the scale of your organization, when you go to the business and they say, okay, here's the budget for 10000 a hundred thousand, three hundred, one million, or the biggest project that I've ever kind of gotten off the ground—a billion-dollar project—that's that's that's a different type of rush, and it is a cool thing.
0: Now I only I, heard like like three voices so far. I would love right. to have more people participate and ask questions.
1: I'll call somebody out. Tom, you you said you were anxious to. To get to this uh, session, did we did we hit your topics? Did we address most of the things that you wanted to hear?
3: Yeah, I think that you uh, got it pretty well, and I've kind of pulled some next steps um, out from where I where I am now, and where I can uh, can go to to dip my toe into the water a little bit more. To even though I'm on the customer side, um, I've been inviting myself uh, into meetings with the with the business more than just sitting and talking about the nerd knobs, I guess. Uh, so yeah. that, that's something that people can do. There's going to be some sort of boring service transformation or uh, business meeting that you can get into to hear what your customers actually need.
1: And uh, the, the for those of you who attended the V. The, the Brownback, i appreciate it. Uh, I'm really passionate about helping people along in their careers, and if you want me to work with you, and uh, I'm willing to put out there the opportunity, if you want me to give you a mock job interview, I'll uh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll I'm a tough I'm a tough interviewer. I've, uh, I, I wrote a blog post over on the CTO Advisor on kind of the five or six interview questions I have for uh, someone who's intervi- interviewing for an uh, enterprise architect role and I'm more than happy to have that mock conversation with you so that and, and give you some one-on-one advice on kind of where the gaps are and where you might want to look just hit me up uh, at at c2 advisor or on twitter and I'll I'll uh DM me and we'll 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 set some time over the next few weeks i'm
0: frantically looking for that and I'll tweet it out that's very nice
1: of you
3: well, to you know uh, the, your, uh, the, the,
1: the my uh, my sometimes sensei Cody uh, is a little bit rough when it comes to making sure that I give back to the community. So, very good.
3: <laughs> All right,
1: any more
2: questions?
3: Well, uh, this is Wences. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, it was very good, very interesting. You know, I, I've been an architect uh, for a long time, also, and. Uh, I definitely concur with everything that you said, and it, it's it's kind of hard to, to stay technical and also, uh, you know, at at the depth of a even a VCP. I mean, uh, <laughs> as, I as, an ar- <laughs> as as an architect and not being an administrator, you know, it was it was very challenging for me to to get that uh, first VCP out of the way, and uh, so I totally agree with you that. Uh, there's two different things going on here uh, even though I would also say that uh, the soft skills that you mentioned and the business aspects and the business acumen are, are very important and uh, and learning how to uh, get your message across and how to understand uh, the stakeholders and understand the uh, the agendas and the hidden agendas. That, Uh, are very important to being an architect and trying to understand but you can't go wrong if you do that the one thing and that's you know tie it back to the business if you understand where the business is going and what the business pain points are and uh, coming up with a solution that addresses that that will always win.
1: (laughs) agreed thanks for chiming in that was helpful
3: Well, thank you. This was a, a, a great talk. I'm, I'm glad uh, that uh, you're throwing yourself out there and giving back to the community. We love that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I do, have, I, do, I do believe strongly in one thing, and I would la- love to hear everybody's recommendations. Uh, I do believe that the best things I've learned are, come from very few books. So give us three books that you have read on your personal time that you actually think that really gave you some good tips, uh, especially on dealing with people, which is, you know, 100% what we do, and uh, on getting, you know, into this mindset.
4: I don't read, so I'm going to let Keith answer that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, well, the, the, what was the, the, was that a question? Like, what what are some of the,
0: yeah, because for example, books that I just love, uh, Winning by Jack Welch, I think has been a great book uh, just to succeed in business overall. Uh, Eat That Frog, I thought was really, really good at learning how to be better and provide more value for yourself. And Greatest Salesman in the World taught me a bunch of stuff about how to approach people and, and, and seriously make things better for everybody. So what books have, do you think have really helped you?
1: So, some of the books that's helped me is *The Servant Leader*, which uh, gives you kind of the view as an architect. You varies from organization to organization. You may or may not have uh, implicit or explicit leadership title, meaning that you have uh, you manage people. You may you may may or may not have direct reports. There is no doubt if you have the architect title. I don't, you are a leader and the 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 servant is a great book the servant leader is a great wo- book about being a leader and taking on that onus and the responsibilities of a leader without necessarily even having the title that that managerial title I probably would not i'm um, saying this I, I've been going back and forth i probably I've, I've made kind of a career decision not to go into uh, an explicit managerial position. I, I don't want the administrative tasks of managing people, but I most definitely re- relish my task of leading people. So I'm big on mentoring internally and making sure that if you're an engineer or if you're a whatever, that you reach the levels that you're looking to reach. And the servant kind of put me in that. The servant leader put me in that mindset to make sure. That those people that I serve as a leader, that I'm I'm making sure that I'm meeting their needs. And then another really easy small read that a bunch of people don't like, but I love it because it's just um, uh, it's it's one of those keep your feet moving books, and and it's really it's a very short uh, read. It's only a, a thirty pages or so is uh who ate my cheese? It's, it's yeah. My one of my favorite kind of short week reads that reminds me the, to, to always kind of keep my feet moving. Yep. Oh, we do have a
0: question. Uh, I don't know, John. Let me, let me see, see if you can talk, John.
3: Great. Hi, this is John. Keith, you mentioned um, aligning uh, projects with, uh, with business goals. So having like an alignment with the, the goals of the business in order to actually get a project through. Can you maybe talk about um, dollar metrics that we should align projects with? For example, you know if we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars on on some kind of uh, IT project and it's going to save us, you know, I don't know, five thousand dollars. That's you know clearly not going to you know get approved. But I, I think there's a maybe a gap in people's understanding on on how we should measure that. Like you know, saving dollars to the business, saving, you know, uh, employee days of labor. You know, those types of things.
1: Yeah. So I, the I, the I, this is a big topic, and both uh, I'll have to find the link to the V Brown Bag episodes. But I did a two part series, and we did extremely deep dive on on business, um, uh, creating a business case but generally speaking you want to align the project metrics with whatever portfolio management uh portfolio, project portfolio management system your company has in place sometimes this is a formal thing where there's actually like templates and forms and there's weighted things that you have you do ROI uh, net present value. Again, we talk, me and Justin talk about all that stuff in our two sessions. But from a high level, and then there's other organizations that are very informal, and it's kind of like, oh, you want to spend a hundred thousand dollars? You just need to first familiarize yourself with that. Talk to people within your organization that have gotten similar projects pushed through and the arguments that they use. Sometimes it's just a political thing they just had more you know political capital and they were able to get a project pushed through, but most organizations have some type of loose criteria so ROI on i t projects is really hard uh, so return on investment basically uh, if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars for a project, when will that project pay itself back? M- many it projects don't do that if you do have an i t project that does that such as you know what if I bought, if we bought new five new vSphere hosts, we can uh, we have one less uh, one less set of vSphere licenses to use. So you know we go from having uh, twelve CPU licenses down to eight CPU licenses. Even though we had capex of uh, of buying the servers, that's the v saving on the vSphere maintenance may pay for the. May pay for the savings within three years, four years, five years, whatever that time period is. That's the type of measurements that we talked about in that uh, in that session. But I highly recommend if if you want to make a successful bid. And then I think the second kind of uh, the second session, JP played the, and I ca- keep calling him just it's Justin. His Twitter handle is at JP Warren, but Justin. Uh, played the role as the CEO slash uh, management uh, executive, and I had to present my business to him, my business case to him. And he kind of poked holes at it, asked me some questions, asked me some feedbacks. I, I think that role playing piece would be really helpful for a lot of people.
3: Got it. Thank you very much. I'll go and I'll look for the sessions too.
1: any other questions all right we had pretty good uh, we had pretty good retainment from we only lost two people near the end I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to uh, participate in Keith Tober. Ariel I'll give it over to you
0: all right well uh, honestly the the pleasure was all ours for you to give us for you for giving us your time and uh, with that I'll close the be Brownback thank you everybody for attending